All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Timeout Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And an absolutely crazy day just happened in the NBA. Just a ton of trades as the NBA trade deadline came and went, um, including just a massive blockbuster trade involving James Harden. So let's just start with that. So the 76ers were finally able to pull off that superstar trade with Ben Simmons. Um, and the full trade is that the Brooklyn Nets sent James Harden to the Sixers for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first-round picks. Paul Millsap is also going to the, um, the Sixers. That's true. Um, yes. So what are your initial impressions? Who won this trade? And just what are your thoughts on this? Ooh, this is a hard one to say who won because both teams just get so much benefit. Um, I mean, obviously – the Sixers held out and got what they wanted, which is a superstar. And after all the talks last year of James Harden, while he was on the Rockets going to the Sixers, this finally happens. So he ends up in the most likely destination from last year. Um, And I think this is really mutually beneficial because this gives the Nets the defense they need in Ben Simmons. And they can also have a secondary ball handler or even primary ball handler um, and you can have Kyrie play more off-ball and ISO, um, while obviously KD does it all. So I think this gives them the defense, that anchor that they really needed on the Nets, because that was the one fault. Um, and now they can surround him with so much shooting. Think of – this might be a bold take, but I honestly think that if you throw out the Nets starting five versus the Warriors starting five, the Nets are going to have better three-point shooting nets. Really? Well, yes, really because I think Seth, on, on an overall team basis, I'm not talking Splash Brothers, because obviously Splash Brothers are going to win that every day. But you have, on, on the Nets, you have Seth Curry, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and then Ben Simmons obviously can't shoot. But surrounding him with four of the top probably ten shooters in the NBA, that is insane. And then so you don't even crazy. mention, you, then you don't even mention Patty Mills, who's going to be coming off the bench. Like or and Joe Harris is also going to be coming off the bench because most likely he won't be starting. Um, on, I mean Andre Drummond might have a large role in this team. Who knows what his role is going to be? So the Nets are a scary, scary team. Obviously James Harden was a very a, a superstar, but the fit worked. Just the health issues and just the team seemed off. He was never fully himself because the hamstring. He sat a lot. There were some iffy things there. I feel like Ben Simmons, yes, he has his mental problems, but being in a new atmosphere, that might change some things. Not only that, um, but I, I just think that he'll be happier playing with guys like Kevin Durant, um, Kyrie Irving. This this is going to be a the, probably one of the big new NBA memes. It's like you have Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons on the same team. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's good, like the headaches of the league. Um, no, but I mean, you have to move over to the Sixers as well and say, James Harden and Joel Embiid. Think about that duo. That is an insane pairing um, because Joel Embiid doesn't need the ball in his hands to thrive at all times. Uh, so that's going to work pretty well. Um, who won this trade? I'm going to have to go with the Nets. I really have to say the Nets. While the Sixers probably got more value out of pieces they weren't using, I think this is such a big dub for the Nets to get somebody who is going to be playing consistently and somebody who's a defensive specialist. Uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think I agree with you. I think that James Harden, while he is a superstar and we know what he can do, 
what we've seen from him over the past couple of seasons has been nothing short of a disappointment. I mean, he has not looked like the James Harden of old, the guy who's liable to go off for 60 every night. And I don't know if that's going to change in that new environment. I certainly think he's going to thrive alongside Joel Embiid, and I think that's going to be one of the scarier duos in the NBA. But I am just really low on James Harden right now, and I think that the Nets were able to get a lot out of it, you know? There was talks about, you know, the Sixers not wanting to include Tyrese Maxey, and then obviously Matisse Thybul wasn't included in this deal. But still, getting Seth Curry is a big pickup. This is the sort of just lights-out shooter that the Nets really needed and that they lacked when Joe Harris got injured. And so having that and adding him to the starting lineup is just going to add that much more depth to this Nets team. Ben Simmons obviously is going to fix or help on the defensive end and help with their playmaking, set great screens. And on this team where you have so many talented players, you don't need him to shoot. So that pressure might be alleviated. Obviously, or sorry. I was just going to say the size issue that the Nets had is now gone. Because they were playing Kevin Durant at center, so you can make the argument, yeah, he's tall, but he's lanky. Now you have a guy who's six six ten and is pretty frame built. So all the people who were hating on the Nets because or because their defense sucked, too little size, all those issues that they had are fixed by Ben Simmons. Right, and I think that on the Sixers side, losing Seth Curry is going to hurt. He was having a career year with them. And I think he really thrived alongside Joel Embiid. Um, But I mean, we cannot downplay James Harden. I've obviously talked about how much he struggled, but still, this is a guy, even in his down years, he's at the top of the league in assists per game and he gets everyone involved. I think he's really going to thrive alongside Joel Embiid because James Harden is a player. And this is sort of what the Nets lacked. I feel like they, they needed a big, you know, rim running center, like that Clint Capella type. And Joel Embiid, he's going to be catching alley-oops from James Harden, and that's going to be a beauty to see. Um, and he's also going to be – I feel like you're, you're going to see, you know, him getting those catch-and-shoot threes too because Embiid is a good shooter as well. So it's going to be interesting to see. But on the surface, I would have to say that the Nets won um, and, and that they were able to get the most value out of this trade. It's going to be an adjustment period for both teams, but I do think that both teams actually did get better as a whole. Before we move on to the next trade – I wanted to mention something I think is really interesting this year. That's pretty unique compared to other years, which is it almost seems like the big threes of this year, the the Lakers, the Nets of the world didn't work out, didn't pan out as expected. And it seems like the league has moved back into the realm of big twos or just duos. Yeah. I, I guess you'd put it as dynamic duos. I feel like the league has transitioned back to that with, you have obviously now James Harden and you have um, Joel Embiid you're going to have almost, it feels like now, Russell Westbrook is no longer part of the big three. It's just a a dynamic duo on LeBron (laughs) and Anthony Davis. You have Giannis and Chris Middleton. You have Chris Paul and Devin Booker. It seems like now that the league is transitioning back. Do you think you really noticed that at all or no? Um, I mean, I, I would agree with that for the most part. I think that, you know, the Lakers and the Nets, they came in as a heavy favorites because they were so stacked with talent. But when you have that much talent, First of all, it means you're going to have to make sacrifices around the roster. Um, and it also means that there's going to be issues if any of your big three that you rely upon so much uh, deal with health or there's chemistry issues. And that's what we saw with both teams. You know, Russell Westbrook obviously had – his the fit issue has been a big problem for the Lakers. Anthony Davis's health 
and also LeBron James to a certain extent. And then on the Nets, Kyrie Irving's issues, Harden's health, and KD's health, they're so reliant on these big three that, you know, they're not, they don't have other guys to step up when they're gone versus a team like, say, the Bucks or the Heat, you know, they, they have two bona fide stars, but they have so much depth around them that even when the stars aren't out, they're able to succeed, able to thrive. Um, and actually, I have, I have another question about this, this, this trade, because, you know, when this big three was assembled, we were talking about how anything less than a championship would be a disappointment. And obviously, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant played very few games together, actually. So they actually played 16 games together. And in those 16 games, they won 13 out of those 16. And so I want to ask the question, is this big three going to be one of the biggest what-if teams of all time? Ooh, it's hard to say. I think that it's definitely one of the teams where it's like they just never made it work. I mean, look at the playoff run that Kevin Durant made when Kyrie Irving and James Harden weren't there. And you saw how close they were, just like an inch away from being in the finals. So I think you're right that this is going to be one of the biggest NBA what-ifs. It's going to be similar to like the what if the Kobe, Dwight Howard, Steve Nash, what if that worked out? What if they didn't get injured kind of thing? I think it's up there with that. I would say the difference with that, though, is there was even more question marks surrounding that. You know, you have Kobe in his twilight years. Dwight, sure, he's still in his prime. He wasn't in his twilight years yet, though. He'd never been injured before. But still, he was – he retired like three years later, so you can't expect that much. And then Steve Nash was 39, and it just – and a Pau Gasol, that was always going to be a questionable fit. And the talent was nowhere near, I would say, you know, three of the best superstars in the game. So I think it's insane when you look at the fact that they only played 16 games together, and they won 13 of those. So it's really a shame that they weren't able to make it work. Because when they were on the court together, they were magnificent. You know, this was such a talented squad, and it was so fun to watch. But just to a myriad of issues, we're never going to be able to really know what would have what that team would have been able to do. Um, yeah, absolutely. But I think uh, it, now is a good time to move on to the next trade. Because yeah, there's, there's a lot of trades to get to. Yeah. We could spend a whole episode talking about this trade. We, we moved from one of the best trades to probably one of the most head-scratching trades, which is Kristaps Porzingis is gone. Who could have expected this? I would have moved moved from the Mavericks, now a wizard, and a package that includes Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, and was it Davis Bertans? I think it was just those two. Yeah, it was. I think it's Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans for Kristaps Porzingis. Now, what do you think each team was thinking on this one? And who do you think wins this trade? Um, so I think for this trade, it seems like on the surface, you have to say unequivocally that the Wizards won. I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie has been incredibly disappointing this year. He was a guy that, you know, the Wizards brought in to replace Russell Westbrook, and he's been very disappointing, not nearly the player that he was in Brooklyn. Uh, Davis Bertans, they gave him the bag this offseason because he was shooting the lights out last season, and he just somehow forgot how to shoot. Both players, uh, Dinwiddie and Bertans, are shooting sub 35% from three. And these are supposedly good three-point shooters. So it's a head-scratching move because you need to surround Luka with shooters and you're bringing in subpar three-point shooters and giving away one of your best players, if not your second best player, definitively. 
I guess the only logic I could see in this trade for the Mavericks is just a matter of health. Porzingis has missed a significant amount of time during his tenure as a Maverick just due to the fact that he can't stay on the floor. So I guess the Mavericks were thinking that it's better to have worse players who are on the floor more than a guy who won't even play. And in that sense, I get it. But for this package, I feel like first you could have gotten more. And second, you could have you could have waited. I, I don't really see the urgency for this trade. But what, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, the first thing that came in my mind when I saw this was maybe they're trying to clear some cap. Maybe it's – maybe let me give them benefit of the doubt. Mark Cuban has a plan. But then I looked at the contracts, and Davis Bertans is making $16 million a year up until 2025. He's under contract until 2025. And Spencer Dinwiddie's on a three or $60 million deal. Not only did they, like, not even clear cap, but they gained money. They're, they're paying out more money between Davis Bertans and Spencer Dinwiddie than they were to Christoph Porzingis, who was making $33 million. Which is crazy to me because they just gave up so much like talent in a guy who was having a great year for them. Um, I guess the thing I can imagine for them is they see having Spencer Dinwiddie gives them a secondary ball handler so that when Luke is tired, he doesn't have to always be the one handling the ball because that's one thing Luca has lacked is somebody to carry the ball for him when he's tired or not on the floor. So I think that'll work out, but I think giving up Kristaps Porzingis to get somebody who can help out Luca in his role is a lot. And the thing with the secondary ball handler point is I, I understand that. And I think that it is right to pursue that if you are Mark Cuban and you're trying to find the best pieces around Luca, but you have to read the room and you have to see there's a better option you can get that you don't have to give up Porzingis for. We're going to talk about this trade later, but Goran Dragic is going to be available on the buyout market almost certainly. And had the Mavericks just waited and saw that there was an opportunity here to get Goran Dragic without giving up any assets, that would have been the perfect situation. Dragic is a player, both European, you know, would have really fit in, in on the identity of this team and would be that, that secondary ball handler to alleviate the pressure off of Luka. Um, and let's just let's talk about the Wizards for a second here. They're getting Kristaps Porzingis. Um, do you think this fits with their timeline of how, when they're trying to go younger? Because um, Porzingis, as of right now, he's, he's only 26, which is not that old, but, you know, we, we have seen a lot from him. Or, I mean, I, you know, I honestly do think this fits their timeline, considering they're – they have a guy in Kyle Kuzma who's also, I believe, the same age, 26, came into the league when he was 22. Uh, you have KCP, who's, I believe, also around that age. So their guys are all middle-aged. They're like Bradley Bill is 30, for example. So they're not a super young team. They do have young assets and guys like Denny Avdia, Rui Hachimura, but they have a solid mix. So if they want to buy into the now, say we can build a team around um, – Bradley Beal with Kristaps Porzingis and maybe get a defensive minded team outside of that. And they want to trade away their assets and Denny Avenir, Rui Hachimura, maybe trade off some of that depth, like Thomas Bryant, those guys to get a third star. I could see that being a possibility and the Wizards could end up being a, a competitive team within the next few years if they make the right moves and make their guys look good. Yeah, I want to I keep talking about the Wizards because they were not done uh, trading. They actually made a, a plethora of moves. They traded Aaron Holiday to Phoenix. That's sort of a smaller move. 
But actually, one of the one of the moves that we sort of talked about, I'm not sure if it was on the pod or just outside, is uh, concerning Montrez Harrell, who is going no, we haven't play. talked about that on the pod. We did talk about it outside, though, um, just personally. Oh yes, yeah. And and Montrez Harrell, he's going to Charlotte for Ish Smith and Vernon Carey. So, what what do you think about this move? I th- honestly think this is a pretty solid move for the both teams. I think Montrez. We were talking about timeline. I don't think Montrez fits the timeline of this team, uh, meaning the Wizards. Uh, I think he is a very good rotational piece, but it's hard for him to stay on the floor. We saw that on the Lakers. We saw that on, on even on the Clippers. It's just very hard to use a guy who's going to give up so many buckets in the lane, even though he's going to give you pretty solid production on offense. Um, I think this works for the Hornets because the Hornets are a, a really running gun offensive young team and a guy like Montrez who's going to bring the energy is going to be great for them, especially since they don't have any centers. Um, I think that'll really help them out. They have Mason Plumley, but that's not really much of a, a starting center. Now, if you look at this from the other side, if you look at this um, from the Wizards point of view, or sorry, I talked about the Wizards and the Hornets, but let's talk about like Ish, Smith, Vernon, Carey. Those pieces don't really matter, but I think this is mutually beneficial. I mean, I actually am going to disagree with you here. I think that the Wizards pretty much won this trade because Montrezl Harrell, he was good for the Wizards. I won't lie. He was pretty good in the beginning of the year, and then he sort of tapered off. But the fit on this team or for the Hornets, for Montrez, that's where I'm confused because I think the Hornets need a rim-protecting big center like sort of similar to what we talked about with James Harden, that uh, sort of alley-oop lob threat on the offensive end, rim protector on the defensive end. And you're just not getting that with Montrez. He's not going to provide you with that much defensive value. And then he's a guy who needs the ball in his hands to score um, on the offensive end. And so I don't think it's the best fit for LaMelo. I think he needs an oop threat, uh, a guy like, like uh, I mean, even like a guy like Jared Allen. I mean, obviously, he's not Jared Allen specifically, but a player of his caliber, of his build. Um, and so I don't really understand what the Charlotte Hornets were thinking here. And then in terms of the Wizards, you're getting a young young piece in Vernon Carey who you can develop and a good backup point guard, Nish Smith. So I think they win this trade, and they're not, they didn't have to give up too much to get it. So uh, I think, like, we got to keep moving because there's so many trades. Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk about the Celtics, you know, uh, the hometown team here in Boston. So they actually brought back Daniel Tice from the Rockets for Dennis Schroeder. And also they cut or they moved PJ Dozier and Bull Bull to the Magic to save some money. And then finally they traded Josh Richardson to the Spurs for Derek White. So what do you think of the moves that Boston made and do you think this is going to help them rise in the rankings and make a playoff push? Yeah. Let's start with the, the Daniel Tice for Dennis Schroeder move. I think that's a pretty solid move for them. I say this just because Dennis Schroeder was a guy, most likely an NBA journeyman after this year, not going to stay on the team looking for bigger money. So to flip a guy like that for Daniel Tice is a pretty solid move for them. Daniel Tice was already in their system before he actually was drafted there, left for the Rockets and now he's coming back. So he's familiar with the guys, and I don't think it's going to be too much of a struggle to fit him into that. I think Kobe White's also an interesting pickup for them uh, just because, I mean, obviously it didn't really work out for the Bulls just because they don't need him. Wait, um, you mean Derek White, Derek White. Oh, so, oh, my God. 
Yeah, I was Why like, hold on. I think- <laughs> sorry, sorry. I just confused myself. I thought he said Kevin Love. Derek White. Yes, I thought he was solid for the Spurs. Um, I, I, they want to trend towards Dejounte Murray, and they're looking to give give him the big role. Also, Lonnie Walker. So I understand from the Spurs' perspective, they don't really need Derek White necessarily. Um, but I just thought he was a solid guard for them. So I think that would service uh, the Celtics well, either. Most likely a backup spot because you have Marcus Smart, who's a starter, and he's looked really great for them. So I think, honestly, the Celtics are on an upward trend this year. They've really figured their stride on defense and on offense in this later half of the year. Yeah, no, I actually agree. I think that this is a good move for the Celtics. They also did, I forgot to mention, they gave up Romeo Langford and a first-round pick in order to get Derek White, uh, which is a little bit of an overpay, I will say, for a guy of Derek White. Uh, in what he brings, but I do think he fits into the new identity that the Celtics are building. Um, we talked about last episode how the Celtics are sort of becoming one of the premier defensive teams in the NBA, and I think that Derek White is only going to help. Yes, he will be coming off the bench, but guess what? If you're an opposing guard, you have to go from getting guarded by Marcus Smart to Derek White, and Derek White is a phenomenal perimeter defender, and he can knock it down from three, so I think that this was a very solid move. Did they give up too much? Maybe, because Josh Richardson and Romeo Langford were rotational pieces on the Celtics team. Um, and then talking about Daniel Tice, I think that helps. I think that the Celtics were sort of weak at the center position, sort of one-dimensional with Robert Williams. And then Al Horford, you know, he's getting up there in age. He's not the same product that he used to be. And then, Yeah, and that's why I think it's a good flip, because Dennis Schroeder's a guy probably not going to be on your team next year, don't want to pay him. Right. And also you can replace his minutes with Derek White. And so, exactly. you know, you don't want too many cooks in the kitchen. And Dennis Schroeder, he's a guy, we know this from watching him on the Lakers. Sometimes you pass him the ball and he's just going to go try and score no matter what. So um, honestly, it, it was a pretty good deal. It, it is a little bizarre to me. Uh, to, actually, it's not. Sorry, I take that back because I just remembered the Spurs got a first round pick out of that. So they flip Derek White uh, for a valuable, for a pretty good asset in Josh Richardson and a first, that's not bad. Um, but let's actually continue talking about the Spurs because they, they were also busy this trade deadline. They sent Thaddeus Young to the Raptors and got back Goran Dragic. Goran yeah, and, and most in the talks have been that they're going to work out a buyout with him and he's going to be available in the market. So what do you think of this move for them? Do you think this is just a, a clear cap kind of move? They don't want to pay their guys? Yeah, I mean... I think they also got a pick, if I'm not mistaken. I just looked it up. Yeah, so the Raptors are sending Dragic and protected 2022 first-round picks for Thaddeus Young and Drew Eubanks. So I actually think this is a good move because the Spurs, this deadline, they're like, all right, we're going to start you know, selling some of our players, getting picks, and building up young assets. So I think this is a smart direction. Uh, Goran Dragic, he's not going to be playing on this team. They're going to negotiate a buyout. And I think the Spurs are making all the right moves. And in terms the Spurs of, always management-wise, they, they have a good head on their shoulders. They know what they're doing. Yeah. And I think this trade deadline is just another example of that. Uh, but talking about the Raptors, uh, Goran Dragic was never going to be a big piece of this team. He was always sort of in and out of the lineups, never really fully committed. We always knew he was trying to play elsewhere. I mean, hell, he was showing up to Miami Heat games when the Raptors were playing. Um, but – Getting Thaddeus Young, this is a great piece that they can just throw in. He's a very versatile player, um, sort of gives you a little bit of everything. 
Uh, you predicted he would be the sixth man of the year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen, but you know he's a very hey, that was that was my bold take. That wasn't my main take. Okay. All right, fair enough. But regardless, I think he's gonna be a good piece for the Raptors, and I'm excited to see how he fits in. Uh, but let's let's keep moving on because there's a bunch of trades to get to. We'll, yeah, I we'll, do. We'll, we'll go to a smaller trade right now. Uh, Suns got Tory Craig back. Uh, from the Pacers. Um, what did you what do you think of this? We get this one could be a quick one. This is not really good. yeah, yeah. But I think honestly, I was expecting Tory Craig to be a starting piece for the Pacers, but they obviously don't need that. And I think that's a solid pickup for the Suns in general. Just get another backup forward, stretch four, and uh, he'll service them well. I mean, he'll be a good rotational piece, and you can play him good minutes with DeAndre Aiden if you want to, because you know we can stretch the floor, like I said. Yeah, I mean that's basically all there is to say. Like, <laughs> I I think it's just a good pickup for them, and the Pacers just got picks assets. You know, the Pacers doing their uh, rebuilding. So. Sure thing. Yeah. So let's let's talk about a uh, a fourteen deal. Actually, uh, I think you want to talk about this one. Bucks, Pistons, Clippers, and Kings. They made a deal that revolves around. I think the biggest pieces here are Serge Ibaka, Dante Divincenzo, and Marvin Bagley. So do you want to sort of break this one down? Yeah, so the Kings get Dante DiVincenzo from the Bucks. They also get Trey Lyles and Josh Jackson. The Bucks are going to get Serge Ibaka, two future second-round picks, and some money. Uh, Clippers are going to get Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale, and the Pistons are going to get Marvin Bagley. Uh, so if you look at this trade, I think there's a few teams that win here, but I think the biggest winner is probably the Bucks. They're able to flip Serge Ibaka out of Dante DiVincenzo. While Dante served them well, I think they, they really have been looking for that backup center position. Um, once Brooke Lopez comes back. Right now, they've been playing Greg Monroe. So, you know, when they're bringing back Greg Monroe, <laughs> that they really do need a backup center. So, Serge Ibaka is going to fit that well because he can stretch the floor, and that's going to fit along beautifully with Giannis and the rest of this team because they their whole game plan is stretch the floor around Giannis, and now Giannis is doing that himself, which is great. So, that's going to be a threat on, their, on that team, and I think he's going to be a lot happier there than he is on the Clippers. I think it's kind of just like a a one-stop shop for him. Not much he can really do there, at least this year. Um, but the Bucks are real contenders, which I think we'll be happier with. Um, I think the Kings also, pretty solid pickup in Dante DiVincenzo, another guy who's going to be able to stretch the floor for them, play the 2-3, um, which is a position they don't have a ton of. Um, but I don't really see the importance of this trade for the Clippers or the Pistons. I think actually the Pistons – this is a very underrated – like, this might fly under the radar, but Marvin Bagley, this is a guy who has a ton of potential. Obviously, he was picked ahead of Luka Doncic. Everyone was scratching their heads at that. Um, but, you know, he has shown a lot of talent in, in, in short bursts, and I think a change of scenery on a young team like the Pistons uh, could actually work pretty well. And they didn't have to give up anything. They didn't have to give up any picks, basically, just some periphery players. So I actually really like this move for the Pistons. Um, I think the biggest loser here is the Clippers. I mean, yes, you're getting Rodney Hood, who's basically that just pure shooter type player. You're Luke Kennard, you're Landry Shamit type player. But you're giving up Serge Ibaka. I feel like you could have got more for that. You could have gotten a pick or something. Um, but that, that's that's my biggest loser. And I think, yes, you're totally right. The Bucks they needed that size to pair alongside Giannis. And Serge Ibaka, he's going to be able to stretch the floor. He's going to be good on defense. He's not Sergi Block anymore, but he's still solid on that end. And uh, as for the Kings, getting Dante, 
you know, we're going to talk about the Kings. I think we should talk about the, the Kings after this. But, you know, you, there, you, you have some gaps to fill in the guard position. So getting Dante is pretty good. And, and you only have to give up Marvin Bagley. So not too bad. But let, let's actually talk about the bigger Kings trade here. And that's the Kings giving up Tyrese Halliburton to get DeMontis Sabonis. Obviously, the trade was bigger than that. There were right. two picks involved. Tyrese Halliburton and, oh my gosh, who was the last one? Buddy Heald was also in that trade yep. for DeMontis Sabonis and Jeremy Lamb. Now, this is a crazy trade. A lot of people are saying that the Kings got finessed. This is a dumb move. Um, but I think it goes a little deeper than that because Sabonis actually played his first game last night in the, in the Kings jersey, which was really weird to see. Um, but I think him and um, – Colin Sexton are going to be a pretty interesting duo. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. So, oh my God, why, not, why did I say Colin Sexton? Oh my gosh. I meant to say De'Aaron Fox. I used to mix those guys up because they were drafted the same year. Um, <laughs> understandable, understandable. Yeah, but I, I think they're going to be a pretty solid duo. The, my one issue with this trade is that if they could have traded Colin Sexton, Oh my God, Deer and Fox! I did that again. <laughs> if they could have traded Deer and Fox instead of Tyrese Halberton, I think this would have been a lot better for them. It's possible the Pacers didn't want him, um, but I see the fit working better with Tyrese and Sabonis. Uh, what I mean, do you think about this trade? People are really writing off De'Aaron Aaron Fox um, and acting like he can't be sort of a franchise centerpiece point guard because he's having a down year this year. Oh, I one hundred percent think he can. I think so, too. I think he has unlimited potential. And last year, he was playing at a borderline all-star level, and he has one down year. Everyone writes him off. Yes, Tyrese has been playing very well, and he's much younger, and so he has that much more potential. But to get a guy like Sabonis, I think I think that that's sort of the best you're going to get in terms of talent-wise uh, for the Kings. And the Kings, they're tired of rebuilding. They're not trying to rebuild anymore. They've been rebuilding for 20 years. They want to start competing for a play-in spot to make the playoffs. And I think Sabonis is going to push them over that line, and they're going to be way more competitive. And I do like the fit with De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis. I just wish that they could have kept Buddy Heald because if the lineup is De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, um, I guess you would run uh, – um, Dante DiVincenzo. Harrison Burns. Or Harrison Burns, yes. Sorry. And then at the four, I don't really know who they would run there. That's sort of up for your question. Uh, but then, you know, you have... Uh, Trist- oh, wait, Tristan Thompson got traded, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, and then you have Sabonis at center. That's that's a pretty solid lineup. Uh, but let's, let's talk about it on the Pacers side. They're getting Buddy Heald. They're getting Tyrese Halliburton. And they're getting young pieces to help facilitate the rebuild. So what do you think this... How, how, do you, how would you rate this move from... The Pacers' point of view, I give this from a Pacers' point of view. This is a pretty solid move. I'd give it like a B plus to an A, uh, like A minus area, because I really think this gives them a lot of room to work with. And I think the the trouble with the Pacers is they know that their fans have been watching them like be a fringe team for such a long time. They want to either see them have a fun young core or just a fun team in general. Because you could argue that that Pacers team was not very fun to watch. Um, and I think they, they really succeeded in that mission of making a team that's going to be rebuilding, but fun to watch. Cause I'm imagining, uh, let's say buddy healed, um, miles Turner out on the floor, uh, Tyrese Halliburton. That sounds like a fun squad to me. And then you add in a guy like, 
Um, sorry, who's their starting two going to be? It's driving me crazy. I mean, uh, Chris Duarte probably. Okay, Chris. Uh, no, I, I'm. Is do you think Chris Duarte would start? No, sorry, it would be Malcolm Brogdon as their one, and then Tyrese as their two. That's what it would be. I always forget about Malcolm Brogdon for some reason. He's a very good son. You think they'd start Chris Duarte at the three? Yeah, the, dude, he's playing so well. He's earned that starting spot. And you want to develop your rookies. You're not trying to – Yeah, win. 100%. That's fair. Yeah, so it, the, either way, that's a solid young core, and it's going to be fun to watch. And you, we're going to get to see what Miles Turner really thinks because as from an outside perspective, I think Miles Turner should have probably been traded. But let's see. He says he can do more than what he he's shown so far because DeMontis Sabonis was holding him back. They're buddies, but at the end of the day, you know, if he wants to have a bigger role, let's see what you can do. This is your year to shine. Yeah, I mean, we could see a, like, most improved player season out of Miles Turner next year, potentially. He could also flop and still average, like, eight points and seven rebounds uh, and not really ju- jump with a bigger role. But, you know, now he has the opportunity, so we got to see how he does. Um, and I, I think the reason why you're struggling to think of the three is because the Pacers made another trade. Um, they actually traded their starting, uh, I think, two or three guard, Karis LeVert, to the Cavs for Ricky Rubio and picks. So talk about this move right here for the Pacers in terms of their young core and also for the Cavs, who are obviously competing for a championship right now. Yeah, I, I really like this trade for both teams. Let's start with the Pacers, like you said. Ricky Rubio, just a Decent backup point guard for them. A very solid backup point guard, actually. I mean, he could even be a starting point guard, but I really doubt they're going to use him for that. Um, but the, the picks are really what matters here for him. Um, and I think that's a that's a pretty great pickup for them, just regarding they get picks, and Karis Thibbert is the guy they were wanting to trade away anyway. You get two two picks out of that, um, and a serviceable point guard. Or Karis Thibbert's talent level, he has a ton of potential. And this is probably one of the more solid trades you'd get. I wouldn't grade, give this like a incredible for them, but serviceable enough. And they just need to make sure something got up for the deadline. So totally understand this trade. Now, if you're looking at it from the Cavaliers perspective, this is a, an insane trade. He fits the timeline for this team so well, instant offense. And he's really going to fit in with the identity of this team. I'm going to really want to tune in the Cavs games now because they're ex- starting lineup so exciting. You have Darius Garland, Karis LeVert, Laurie Markkinen, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley. That is such a fun team starting five-wise, and I really just can't wait to see what they bring. And that this Cavs team actually has so much talent because you look at it's coming off the bench, you know. You got – obviously Colin Sexton is still on the team, which he didn't get moved. That was interesting. He's um, injured, obviously. Right. And, and we also didn't talk about the fact that uh, Ricky Rubio is injured, so they flipped a guy who wasn't even playing for yeah, him. Yeah, I was about to say, I was like, yeah, the, the Cavs have no issue moving someone who's hurt. You know, Ricky Rubio, they were like, we love you, Ricky. Thank you so much for what you're doing, but bye-bye. You're gone. Um, totally understandable for getting Karis LeVert, though. Uh, and then you have, like, Kevin Love, Chetty Osman. There's a lot of talent on this Cavs squad. and just Yeah, Kevin Love's the- playing like a six-man of the year. He honestly is. And it's because he's no longer pouting on a bad team. He's happy to be playing on a good team. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, you know, we have to start seriously considering the Cavs to be contenders in the same way that we consider Memphis contenders. They're led by an all star point guard, you know, 
deep with young talent and veterans to bounce it out. And they have what it takes. So we got to keep our eyes out for the Cavs and watch them because they could be having an Atlanta Hawks type run that they did last year where they make the conference finals or even the finals. Don't be surprised if you see that ESPN graphic of like Steph Curry versus Darius Garland in the NBA NBA finals because that could very well happen. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be crazy. I mean, if you told somebody in 2018 when LeBron left the Cavs to go to the Lakers that they were going to be back in the, uh, the playoff picture without LeBron James within the next few years, people would think you're crazy. Seriously, considering how far or how incompetent the Cavs sort of were before LeBron and how we've seen organizations like Sacramento consistently falter time after time, you have to give props to the Cavs management for really rebuilding this team efficiently and just in a manner that they're going to be good now and they're going to be good for several years to come. And in this trade right here, it's a perfect example. They got a guy in Carousel Vert and did not have to throw the kitchen sink at them. They didn't have to throw Colin Sexton. They didn't have to throw in Kevin Love. They just gave up Rubio, who was solid, but they didn't really need him because they had Rondo and some picks, which sort of are expendable if you're going to be contending. And so props to the Cavs. You know, they've done a great job of turning the ship around. And I'm just excited to see what they're going to look like in the playoffs, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. And depending on how this postseason goes, they have the option over the summer to move Colin Sexton if they don't see he has a role in this team. So that's a very valuable piece that they can get a star for. Seriously, yeah. They could get a not I wouldn't say a star because I don't he, think Colin Sexton has that much value, but they could get well, a Colin Sex Colin Sexton Colin Sexton, maybe like Steady Osmond and Picks is worthy of maybe a lower tier star. I would say honestly, yeah, that could be the ceiling for that trade. Uh but let's keep moving because you know it's a billion trades happen today. I mean this was I this think was the next point. one I think the next one that's interesting is the Pelicans trade. I, I, sure. I was gonna bring that one up. So the Pelicans we're going to talk about the end of an era in Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum um, because New Orleans is now the new landing spot for C.J. McCollum and the Blazers receive, I'm trying to remember who they received. I cannot think of it. Nikhil. Do you remember? They got Nikhil. Yeah. Walker. That's correct. Uh, oh, man. Hold on. Where? Sorry, there's a there's... <laughs> Um Oh, Josh Hart uh, and draft compensation. Right, so right. They sent, yes. they sent New Orleans, Larry Nance Jr., um, CJ McCollum, and Tony Snell, and they got Josh Hart, Tomas Sedaransky, who's an expiring contract, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and a first-round pick in two seconds. Yeah, so, well, who do you think won this trade? I think who won this trade is, honestly, the Pelicans, because – I think that when Zion is healthy, there's actually kind of a solid team starting to form around him right now. You know, CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson. If Zion ever gets healthy, which is a big if, um, that could be a, a team that could make the plan. Obviously, you know, we got to see health. And also you have team like uh, Devontae Graham is on this team, Jonas Valanciunas. There is some talent on the squad. And the Pelicans have done a good job sort of amassing talent to try and make this team ready for when Zion comes back. It's just a matter of if he, if and when he's going to come back. Uh, but, yes, McCollum, you know, he's a guy who 
one of the few sort of predominantly mid-range scores. Um, him and Brandon Ingram are really going to light it up from that part of the floor. Um, he's going to give you no defense, unfortunately, which is really going to suck. But he is going to give you – he's liable for 20 points every night, lighting it up for mid-range, and he's a decent three-point shooter too. So I think this fits. And then moving to the Blazers quickly, they uh, – they got Josh Hart, who I think could be a solid piece on these rebuilding Blazers. But we actually have to talk about that. Um, for, after I'll give my thoughts on the Blazers after you give your thoughts on this trade. Yeah, I was going to say, we have a ton of Blazers news to talk about because we haven't even touched the surface on what the Blazers have really done. But uh, if you look at this from the point of view of the Blazers, they get Josh Hart, like you said, and which I think will be a serviceable piece as a backup to Dame. Um, you he, that's an option you can keep him or you can probably trade him for more assets because obviously what the Blazers are trying to do here is they're trying to make a new team around Dame, maybe clear some cap space, try to sign another star in the offseason, try to make it work because obviously Dame is very loyal and wants to try and make it work with this team. He said his heart is still with this team even though CJ is gone. So we'll see what they can do. Um, but then the other part of this trade, Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I'm pretty blanked out right now. But okay, yes, CJ McCollum. That is the other half of this trade. Oh, oh good. I, I don't blame <laughs> sorry. you. So yeah, many sorry. Yeah, there's just so many trades. It's all jumbled up in my head. But CJ McCollum to the Pelicans. I really think this is a solid move for them. You look at the starting five. It's Devontae Graham, CJ McCollum, uh, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Jonas Valanciunas. That's a pretty solid starting five. My only concern with that team, like you said, is going to be that defense. Brandon Ingram plays solid defense. Zion obviously can defend when he's in shape. Jonas Valanciunas, decent defender. But their backcourt between Devontae Graham and CJ McCollum literally has no capability of stopping a single a single guard. It is not <laughs> going to <laughs> – it's not happening. So Doctor, I really – out there with the ball as a starting point guard for a team, and you would probably score. <laughs> I could I could 100%. We're calling out CJ McCollum right now. CJ McCollum – if you were listening to this podcast, I could beat you in the one-on-one because you just simply wouldn't play defense on me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, yeah, if they can find a good backup defensive minded, like I know we give like crap to like a guy like Eric Bledsoe for not, not being a guy we really like, but I think a guy like that would really be well served on the team like this. Um, so if, if Zion's able to get healthy, then I would be excited to watch this team. Otherwise, I really am not sure if that's a dub for them. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. Um, but for the Blazers, you know, they actually got rid of Nikhil Alexander-Walker, which was puzzling. I, can we talk about the Blazers as a whole, this trade deadline? Because they made – we talked about last episode, them trading Robert Covington, Norman Powell, getting Eric Bledsoe back, and, and uh, you know, not even a first-round pick for that. They got seconds. Um, and now shipping out McCollum, um, Damian, the, the Blazers management has said they're still committed to winning with Damian Lillard. Um, they're going to try and retool this team in the offseason with the freed up cap space that they now have. But can we just talk about their their trades that they've made? Like, do you think that as a whole, these are good and they're moving in the right direction? Or how do you view the Blazers and what they've done this off or done this trade deadline? Man, it's hard to say. I know we'll talk about this a little later, but I think they're winners and losers at the same time, This generally during this trade deadline. Because 
they've done things that they've needed to do in moving around a lot of players, but I think they've rushed a lot of these trades. I know we talked about the Roko and Norman Powell one a ton, but I think that's their worst trade. All the others, I can really understand why they do. That's the only one that's a head scratcher to me. Uh, I definitely think there's some teams who have had worse deadlines, but they could have flipped their pieces for a lot more than they got out of them. I agree with that. Like you're giving up CJ McCollum, who's really the, the secondary piece and has been to this team for so long and has been part of the core for so long. And what are you getting back? You know, you're getting Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander Walker and, and some seconds, like that's not a great package. And not only that, but you're losing Larry Nance as well. I know Larry Nance was a very solid player on the, for this team. He sort of filled that Draymond Green from Walmart type role. Um, I, I don't know. I just I think that the Blazers are right in the sense that a core of McCollum, Lillard, and Nurkic is not winning a championship, but they just rushed it. They went about it completely the wrong way. And now they're going to be sort of in a terrible situation, not a terrible situation, but in a very precarious situation this offseason. And if I were to make a prediction, I think they're going to overpay a lot of decent players. They're going to overpay them because they just have the cap space to do it. And you're going to end up with a, a, the same team with just different players. You're going to get a, a, a bona fide first round exit type team spearheaded by Damian Lillard putting this team in his back. And then where do you go? You have no more assets. So I don't know. I'm, I'm just perplexed with the Blazers. And, and then Damian Lillard is at the end of his prime. And it yeah, would be yeah. one, and that's would be end up being one of the probably saddest NBA loyalty stories in history. Yeah. Just completely squandering one of the, one of the, I mean, the NBA says one of the top 75 players all time. Uh, but yeah, enough Blazers talk. I would say they're a loser, but um, let, let's keep talking about winners and losers here. How would you say the Nets did this offseason? They are 100% a winner. <laughs> yeah, Nets are a winner for sure. They made the right moves. Um, they obviously took a piece who is iffy for them in James Harden, although we're talking about the superstar in and out of the lineup during when it counted. Um, we're talking about the guy who didn't look the same as he did four or five years ago, or even three years ago. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> you don't have to go that far back. Two, two years ago, he could go back to his uh, run in the bubble even. I'd, I'd say that's the last time he really looked like himself. Uh, but I, I really don't know what the Nets could have done better. I think they really finessed a ton for for uh, James Harden. They got Ben Simmons. They got so many good assets that are going to help them in the future and in the short term. 100%. I, would, I definitely agree. Nets are winners here. They, uh, what do you think of the – oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to agree with you. Like, I would say Nets are for sure winners. Do you think the Kings are winners? Um, No, I think the Kings definitely lost here. I think, you know, they – trading Tyrese Halliburton was – actually, it's hard to say. It's hard to say because I think that, you know, they now got Dante DiVincenzo, solid player, DeMonte Sabonis, former all-star, De'Aaron Fox, Mar Harrison Barnes. There's some talent on this team, and they can push for a playing spot. But the more I think about it, it's like, okay, you're pushing for the play and pushing for the playoffs, but that's your ceiling. That's all you're going to get. You know, like you gave up one of potentially your franchise pieces in Tyrus Halliburton for basic, maybe like one or two years of making the playoffs. That doesn't seem worth it to me. The way I see it is they got impatient and they really wanted to give their fans at least a little taste of something, which I can understand from a management standpoint being 
okay with wanting to be decent, like just not wanting to suck. But at the same time, that's not the, the best outlook to have in the long run. So I, I really – we'll have to see how they pan out as a team next year because I really don't think this is their year. Um, this would be get... the equivalent of basically the Knicks trading R.J. Barrett for C.J. McCollum so they can make the playoffs this year. It's a very short-sighted move, and I think this myopia is really going to hurt them in the long run. So I don't know. I would say they're actually losers. After On further reflection, I would say they're losers. Okay. That's right. What do you think of the uh, – I know you said the Blazers already. So what do you think of the Sixers? Are Sixers winners or losers? Sixers, it's to be determined. I can't say whether they're winners or losers because, yes, they gave up a lot, but the potential is so high. Ben Simmons was not going to play for them ever again. So you could basically negate that piece. So they gave up two first-round picks, Seth Curry and Andre Drummond for James Harden. Anybody takes that deal any day of the week. And so if they can get even 80% of prime Harden, prime Rockets Harden, that's going to be probably the best duo in the NBA between James Harden and Joel Embiid. And yes, they, be, they really complement each other well. Yeah, exactly. They're going to be averaging 80 free throws per game. And <laughs> the free throw line is going to be crying for help because it's always going to be dominated by those two players. So whatever, whatever um, whatever stadium they go to or arena, they're going to have to like fix the floorboard directly under the free throw line. Cause it's always going to have like an indent from them. <laughs> Just like they, <laughs> their bodies are going to be there. So often there's like a little indent in the floor. Uh, but I, but I think this trade definitely raises their ceiling here. Um, you know, before we looked at the, at the Sixers as like, yes, they're powered by Joel Embiid and he's playing at an MVP level, but like they're at most a second round exit. But now, if everything starts clicking, they're a championship contender. So I, I would put them as a potential winner, but also they have the potential to be a big loser, you know? Yeah. Now the, there's only two more teams I want to mention. First one is Pacers. Are the Pacers winners? Yeah, I would say the Pacers are winners here. I think that there there was a – I did not like the Levert trade, if I'm being honest. Uh, I, didn't really, I didn't really talk about it that much, but I think that getting Rubio doesn't really make that much sense. I guess the picks sort of bounce it out, but I think a guy like Lavert has more value than they really, than they really thought. So I think they really undersold him. But getting Tyrese Halburn for Demontis Sabonis, perfect move for the future. Now you get a guy to pair alongside Malcolm Brogdon and to pair alongside Miles Turner for the future. And a backcourt, I would imagine the backcourt eventually is going to transition to. Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Duarte. And that is a very That's the eventual goal for sure. You know, great two-way players on both sides. The, Tyrese Halliburton was up there in steals per game and total steals this whole season. He's a very, very proficient defensive player. And I think the Pacers, they got younger, and now they have a, a actually solid core. They got some picks. So I would definitely have to say they're winners. And – yeah, I mean, what, what do you think about the Mavs? Because I think we, we're in agreement about the Pacers being winners. Yeah, the Mavs, I think we're going to also agree on this one, probably the biggest losers of this trade deadline, just because I, I'm really scratching my head at this, kind of giving away Kristaps Porzingis, a guy who's been giving up great numbers for you, giving you a pretty good defense, giving, putting up almost two blocks per game, I believe, and giving you great three-point unicorn. I mean, we know he, we know what he can do. We saw what he did in his first few years for the Mavs. We saw what he did on the Knicks. Um, 
And you get that for two guys who've had down years and not only down years, but guys who could never replace the talent level you're getting in Kristaps. Uh, right. And we so how do you at, feel? We have to look at like, I agree. They definitely lost and back to back years. Um, I, I guess not back to back, but you know, in a span of three years, the Mavs have made just a bunch of terrible moves around Luka Doncic. Yeah. Josh Richardson was horrible that, for yeah, them. Think about that Josh Richardson Seth Curry trade, and now this one. Obviously, we haven't seen the results of it yet, but on paper, Luka cannot be happy with this. I, I must say, Luka has to be frustrated with the management, and it's way too early to in the pipeline to say. But you know, we could be looking at potentially Luka leaving due to just incompetence of the organization. They got they got they got rid of one of his Baltic brothers. Yeah, I know <laughs> about that. Um, let's let's move on uh, and talk about teams that didn't make any trades because there's a lot of surprising names here. Pe- teams that people really expected to make some moves, but they didn't. And I think the most notable one here is the Lakers, who were expected to make some moves because they've been struggling so much, losing to the C.J. McCollum-less, Damian Lillard-less G League Blazers. Um, how about everything list i mean like literally i think we were getting beaten by guys they'd literally never heard of they probably their first nba game literally uber drivers we lost to it's very unfortunate but what, what did you think of the lakers inactivity at the deadline yeah i think um there were rumors that we were going to try to get terrence ross for tht um and that didn't pan out obviously and the only deal that we found out we the Lakers were offered from the Rockets was John Wall, the first pick, first round pick for Russell Westbrook, which the Lakers denied. Um, personally, I'm happy the Lakers denied this trade because I don't think John Wall solves any of the issues you have. And Russell Westbrook does have a higher ceiling than John Wall, even if his low is also lower than John Wall's low. Um, so that's still a piece that you can figure out to do something better with than to get John Wall. He's John Wall also has a player option the same year as Russell Westbrook, basically the same amount of money. So you're not getting rid of either of them, even if you do trade for him. So that, that trade doesn't make sense. Um, what about uh, Cam Reddish and Alec Burks, like trades with the Knicks, which is another team we're going to talk about. Yeah, for sure. I think that that definitely would have been possible. But um, from what the reports are saying, the Lakers didn't find any trades that made sense for them that were given the value they believed THT held. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that the Lakers held out, didn't make any too rash of a decision. It's possible that the Lakers also realize this isn't their year. They need a year to regroup, figure out things with us. Russell Westbrook, maybe move some pieces. Obviously the periphery pieces aren't good enough. That's something I want to talk about. We saw in the Portland game. Maybe this was Portland game showed this. I mean, this was the game that the, uh, Russell Westbrook didn't play in because he was out with his back injury. And most people finally were like, Oh, Finally, a no- Russell Westbrookless game. First game of the season, Russell Westbrook hasn't played. It's LeBron and AD back to the championship-style teams. Let's see what they can do. And they couldn't even beat arguably probably the worst lineup the Blazers have thrown out this season. And they're the, like 12 or 13 seed in the West. So that really shows that it's not just LeBron and AD. It's not Russ- – It will, while Russell Westbrook has been a problem, you cannot blame this year on Russell Westbrook if the – Braun and AD led Lakers without Russell Westbrook can't beat the Blazers. So I think that was also a wake up call to LeBron and the guys or LeBron and Anthony Davis specifically that told them, hold up. Maybe we just wait a year. We'll go the plan. Maybe a first round exit. We're going to try our best. We'll see what we can do, but we got to regroup and this isn't the year to make our move. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of agree with you. I think that the Lakers at this point, they, they talked about like looking at the buyout market for potential additions they can make. But at this point, the Lakers have to sort of write off this season as like not their year. They can't seriously be thinking of championship aspirations, right? Because we no, know. of course not. And we don't. The worst thing you can possibly have happen is that LeBron and AD push themselves and get injured in the postseason. If anything, I'd rather see LeBron and AD coast this this year. I hate to say it, but I'd rather have LeBron and AD coast this year, come back strong next year, figure out a better lineup surrounding the guys, get a more defensive-minded team with veteran leaders and younger pieces come back with a guy like Kendrick Nunn, just write this year off. It wasn't our year. Maybe we'll get something for Russell Westbrook. Maybe he stays. Either way, we construct this team a little better, see what happens. But the thing is, there's urgency to this that I don't think the Lakers are really understanding. LeBron is 37. He's going to be 38 next year. How many – like, you really had to make the most of this year, and to just write it off I don't think is a luxury that the Lakers had. But, I, I, I agree with you, but I don't think the Lakers have any other options at this point because you don't want to strain LeBron and AD any more than you need to. Fair enough. But, I mean, we talked about a potential trade with the Knicks, and I think a guy like for, for Cam Reddish, that is a deal that definitely could have been made. And I guess they didn't want to sacrifice their first-round pick, which is understandable. But I think a deal could have been made because the Knicks don't seem too, too willing to, to keep Cam Reddish on board. Uh, but let's actually talk about the Knicks. They didn't make any moves. The Knicks have been struggling a lot. Basically, everyone on the Knicks has been involved in trade rumors, even Julius Randle himself. So, no, no I believe that was a ball sack rumor, actually. <laughs> no, that wasn't an actual rumor. Julius no, Randle has not been involved in any <laughs> trades. <laughs> Going back to the ball sack. Shout out, ball sack. Um, no, no, I'm genuinely serious. I'm pretty sure I saw some speculation that that Julius Randle was available for trade talks at least. But yes, there was a report that Ballsack Sports put out that Randle was in trade talks. But um, what do you think about the Knicks being stagnant and not making any moves? Yeah, I think that the Knicks, I'm not sure what their plan is because they're in a tough spot as well where Julius Randle hasn't looked like himself from last year. He's definitely not an MVP caliber player this year. So they're in a position where they have to look at their team construction and say, what can we change about this team? Obviously, Cam Reddish is together, probably shopping around, definitely shopping around Alec Burks, guys like Kemba Walker. Um, Derek Rose has been injured for them, so that's a big hit to them. But I really don't know what they could have done to take their team to contention status. I think this might have been the situation where they realized that they're not going to be they're not going to be beating a Bucks team. They're not going to be beating a Nets team. They're not going to be beating the Bulls. They're not going to be beating the Heat. But even if that's the case, I don't know why they wouldn't make any moves because trying to be better and finding ways to climb up in the ranks is probably better than just staying stagnant and not getting a lottery pick. I agree with that. Um, you know, they, they could have at least made some moves. The fact they didn't is, is troubling to see. But you actually did bring up the Bulls. It's the next team I want to talk about. They made no moves. There was... The, I guess the big move everyone wanted to see happen was Jeremy Grant being brought in for Patrick Williams. And so, Kobe White. Yeah, prob- it was probably Kobe White and Patrick Williams don't really have a role. So maybe moving those two guys to get, like like you said, Jeremy Grant or a caliber of that type of role player. Yeah, so what do you think of them not making that move, not pulling the trigger? Um, I honestly think this is probably in their favor 
uh, not just because uh, they they should keep their guys because they're talented because they're not even playing them. That's not what matters. I think what matters more is the fact that they're going to be having to pay Zach Levine. If Jeremy Grant came, he's on the one-year deal. You're going to have to pay Jeremy Grant. Um, and they probably want to give themselves a little bit more flexibility when it comes to the deadline and picking up role players in general because you can probably get a guy worth a little less that's going to give you slightly less production than Jeremy Grant would, but for a ton less money, uh, they're probably not going to have much to work with in their cap because you're paying DeMar DeRozan, you're paying Nikola Vucevic, Lonzo Ball's making a decent chunk of money. Uh, obviously, like I said, Zach Levine, you're going to have to give him the max, and they won't have much room to work with, especially if they get a guy like Jeremy Grant. No, 100%. I think that you know they're, they're sort of betting on themselves with this deal because Patrick Williams, he was great last season for the Bulls. And I think not giving them up is going to be a good young piece that even when, you know, DeMar gets old, Zach Levine starts getting up there in age, Patrick Williams is going to be taking the spotlight and start to fulfill that star role if he plays up to his potential. Same with Kobe White when he starts to find a role on this team. So I'm actually glad the Bulls didn't pull the trigger, although it would have been, it would have been a very solid lineup to add Jeremy, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Grant too. Um, yeah, absolutely. Oh, sorry. I was just going to add one more thing, which is it also shows that they're being patient. Like you said, they're trusting themselves and they could make a move with those guys over the, the summer if they wanted to, but they're relying on the fact that they have a solid, a, a very strong team this year. They're uh, t- competing for the one seat in the East right now. And they, they're trusting their guys, which I have a lot of respect for. And another team that's trusting their guys is Memphis, you know, They've been doing phenomenal this year, but they didn't make any trades. So do you think that was a good decision? Uh, absolutely. This team is definitely a contender, like you said, in the same probably tier as the Cavs, where they're in stride. They're a young core. They're working together very well, and you probably don't want to tamper with that too much. Uh, I mean, like Desmond Bain has been great for this team. John Morant has been working well. Steven Adams is so underrated for this team. Uh, JJJ has been great. Like their whole lineup has been consistently great. And I don't know what pieces you can move that aren't having a large effect on this team that would get you a caliber of player that's going to bring you to the next tier of contender. Agreed. I mean, the phrase goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So why blow it up if things are working so well? Um, Yeah. And I guess we could keep talking about because we missed some minor trades, but we could keep talking about trade stuff and we might next episode, but hopefully you guys all enjoyed this recap. You know, a lot of action going on. It was a very exciting day in the NBA, um, especially just as a fan, just checking my phone and seeing that, you know, Oh shoot, James Harden got traded. Yeah. I was, I was golfing when the James Harden trade happened and I kid you not, I went from golfing incredibly to golfing, pretty horribly simply because I couldn't stop thinking about the NBA. <laughs> no, same. I was in class and that's all I could think about. So um, yeah, it was just a, an insane day and there's going to be loads more to talk about next week on timeout talk. So thank you all so much for listening. Um, and yeah, we'll see you all next week. Uh, Have a great care. night. Bye-bye.